Part Three of the Defenders by Philip K. Dick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Three. They stepped out of the car. A leady was approaching them rapidly. It coasted up in front of them and stopped, scanning them with its hand weapon raised. This is security, Frank said. Have an A class sent to me at once. The leady hesitated. Other B-class guards were coming, scooting across the floor, alert and alarmed. Moss peered around. "'Obey!' Frank said in a loud, commanding voice. "'You've been ordered!' The leady moved uncertainly away from them. At the end of the building a door slid back. Two A-class leadys appeared, coming slowly toward them. Each had a green stripe across its front. "'From the Surface Council,' Franks whispered tensely. This is above ground, all right. Get set." The two leadys approached warily. Without speaking they stopped close by the men, looking them up and down. "'I'm Franks of Security. We came from undersurface in order to—' "'This is incredible,' one of the leadys interrupted him coldly. "'You know you can't live up here. The whole surface is lethal to you. You can't possibly remain on the surface.' "'These suits will protect us,' Franks said. In any case, it's not your responsibility. What I want is an immediate council meeting so I can acquaint myself with conditions, with the situation here. Can that be arranged? You human beings can survive up here, and the new Soviet attack is directed at this area. It is in considerable danger. We know that. Please assemble the council. Franks looked around him at the vast room, lit by recessed lamps in the ceiling. An uncertain quality came into his voice. Is it night or day right now? Night, one of the A-class leadys said after a pause. Dawn is coming in about two hours. Franks nodded. We'll remain at least two hours, then. As a concession to our sentimentality, would you please show us some place where we can observe the sun as it comes up? We would appreciate it. A stir went through the leadys. It is an unpleasant sight," one of the leadys said. You've seen the photographs. You know what you'll witness. Clouds of drifting particles blot out the light. Slag heaps are everywhere. The whole land is destroyed. For you it will be a staggering sight, much worse than pictures and film can convey. However it may be, we'll stay long enough to see it. Will you give the order to the Council? Come this way. Reluctantly, the two leadys coasted toward the wall of the warehouse. The three men trudged after them, their heavy shoes ringing against the concrete. At the wall, the two leadys paused. This is the entrance to the council chamber. There are windows in the chamber room, but it is still dark outside, of course. You will see nothing right now, but in two hours. Open the door, Frank said. The door slid back. They went slowly inside. The room was small, a neat room with a round table in the center, chairs ringing it. The three of them sat down silently, and the two leadys followed after them, taking their places. The other council members are on their way. They have already been notified and are coming as quickly as they can. Again, I urge you to go back down. The leady surveyed the three human beings. There is no way you can meet the conditions up here. Even we survive with some trouble ourselves. 
How can you expect to do it? The leader approached Franks. This astonishes and perplexes us, it said. Of course we must do what you tell us, but allow me to point out that if you remain here— We know, Franks said impatiently. However, we intend to remain at least until sunrise. If you insist. There was silence. The leadys seemed to be conferring with each other, although the three men heard no sound. For your own good, the leader said at last, you must go back down. We have discussed this, and it seems to us that you are doing the wrong thing for your own good. We are human beings, Frank said sharply. Don't you understand? We're men, not machines. That is precisely why you must go back. This room is radioactive. All surface areas are. We calculate that your suits will not protect you for over fifty more minutes. Therefore, the leadys moved abruptly toward the men, wheeling in a circle, forming a solid row. The men stood up. Taylor reached awkwardly for his weapon, his fingers numb and stupid. The men stood facing the silent metal figures. We must insist, the leader said, its voice without emotion. We must take you back to the tube and send you down on the next car. I am sorry, but it is necessary. What'll we do? Moss said nervously to Franks. He touched his gun. Shall we blast them? Franks shook his head. All right, he said to the leader. We'll go back. He moved toward the door, motioning Taylor and Moss to follow him. They looked at him in surprise, but they came with him. The leadys followed them out into the great warehouse. Slowly they moved toward the tube entrance, none of them speaking. At the lip, Franks turned. We're going back because we have no choice. There are three of us and about a dozen of you. However, if— Here comes the car, Taylor said. There was a grating sound from the tube. D-class leadys moved toward the edge to receive it. I am sorry, the leader said, but it is for your protection. We are watching over you literally. You must stay below and let us conduct the war. In a sense, it has come to be our war. We must fight it as we see fit. The car rose to the surface. Twelve soldiers, armed with bender pistols, stepped from it and surrounded the three men. Moss breathed a sigh of relief. Well, this does change things. It came off just right. The leader moved back, away from the soldiers. It studied them intently, glancing from one to the next, apparently trying to make up its mind. At last it made a sign to the other leadys. They coasted aside, and a corridor was opened up toward the warehouse. Even now, the leader said. We could send you back by force, but it is evident that this is not really an observation party at all. These soldiers show that you have much more in mind. This was all carefully prepared. Very carefully, Frank said. They closed in. How much more we can only guess. I must admit that we were taken unprepared. We failed utterly to meet the situation. Now force would be absurd, because neither side can afford to injure the other. 
we because of the restrictions placed on us regarding human life you because the war demands the soldiers fired quick and in fright moss dropped to one knee firing up the leader dissolved in a cloud of particles on all sides b and d-class leadys were rushing up some with weapons some with metal slats the room was in confusion off in the distance a siren was screaming franks and taylor were cut off from the others separated from the soldiers by a wall of metal bodies they can't fire back franks said calmly this is another bluff they've tried to bluff us all the way he fired into the face of a leady the leady dissolved they can only try to frighten us remember that they went on firing and leady after leady vanished the room reeked with the smell of burning metal, the stink of fused plastic and steel. Taylor had been knocked down. He was struggling to find his gun, reaching wildly among metal legs, groping frantically to find it. His fingers strained, a handle swam in front of him. Suddenly something came down on his arm, a metal foot. He cried out. Then it was over. The leadys were moving away, gathering together off to one side. Only four of the surface council remained. The others were radioactive particles in the air. D-class leadys were already restoring order, gathering up partly destroyed metal figures in bits and removing them. Franks breathed a shuddering sigh. All right, he said. You can take us back to the windows. It won't be long now. The leadys separated, and the human group, Moss and Franks and Taylor and the soldiers, walked slowly across the room toward the door. They entered the council chamber. Already a faint touch of gray mitigated the blackness of the windows. "'Take us outside,' Franks said impatiently. "'We'll see it directly, not in here.' A door slid open. A chill blast of cold morning air rushed in, chilling them even through their lead suits. The men glanced at each other uneasily. "'Come on,' Franks said. "'Outside.' He walked out through the door, the others following him. They were on a hill, overlooking the vast bowl of a valley. Dimly against the graying sky, the outline of mountains were forming, becoming tangible. "'It'll be bright enough to see in a few minutes,' Moss said. He shuddered as a chilling wind caught him and moved around him. "'It's worth it, really worth it, to see this again after eight years, even if it's the last thing we see.' Watch, Franks snapped. They obeyed, silent and subdued. The sky was clearing, brightening each moment. Some place far off, echoing across the valley, a rooster crowed. A chicken? Taylor murmured. Did you hear? Behind them the leadys had come out and were standing silently, watching too. The gray sky turned to white and the hills appeared more clearly. Light spread across the valley floor, moving toward them. God in heaven! Franks exclaimed. Trees, trees, and forests, a valley of plants and trees, with a few roads winding among them, farmhouses, a windmill, a barn far down below them. Look! Moss whispered. Color came into the sky. The sun was approaching. Birds began to sing. Not far from where they stood, the leaves of a tree danced in the wind. Franks turned to the row of leadys behind them. Eight years we were tricked, 
There was no war. As soon as we left the surface— Yes, an A-class leady admitted. As soon as you left, the war ceased. You are right. It was a hoax. You worked hard under surface, sending up guns and weapons, and we destroyed them as fast as they came up. But why? Taylor asked, dazed. He stared down at the vast valley below. Why? You created us, the leady said, to pursue the war for you, while you human beings went below the ground in order to survive. But before we could continue the war, it was necessary to analyze it to determine what its purpose was. We did this, and we found that it had no purpose except perhaps in terms of human needs. Even this was questionable. We investigated further. We found that human cultures pass through phases, each culture in its own time. As the culture ages and begins to lose its objectives, conflict arises within it between those who wish to cast it off and set up a new culture pattern, and those who wish to retain the old with as little change as possible. At this point a great danger appears. The conflict within threatens to engulf the society in self-war, group against group. The vital traditions may be lost, not merely altered or reformed, but completely destroyed in this period of chaos and anarchy. We have found many such examples in the history of mankind. It is necessary for this hatred within the culture to be directed outward toward an external group so that the culture itself may survive its crisis. War is the result. War to a logical mind is absurd, but in terms of human needs it plays a vital role and it will continue to until man has grown up enough so that no hatred lies within him. Taylor was listening intently. Do you think this time will come? Of course. It has almost arrived now. This was the last war. Man is almost united into one final culture, a world culture. At this point he stands continent against continent, one half of the world against the other half. Only a single step remains, the jump to a unified culture. Man has climbed slowly upward, tending always toward unification of his culture. It will not be long, but it has not come yet, and so the war has to go on to satisfy the last violent surge of hatred that man felt. Eight years have passed since the war began. In these eight years we have observed and noted important changes going on in the minds of men. Fatigue and disinterest we have seen are gradually taking the place of hatred and fear. The 
hatred is being exhausted gradually over a period of time but for the present the hoax must go on at least for a while longer you are not ready to learn the truth you would want to continue the war but how did you manage it moss asked all the photographs the samples the damaged equipment come over here the leady directed them toward a long low building work goes on constantly whole staffs laboring to maintain a coherent and convincing picture of a global war they entered the building leadys were working everywhere poring over tables and desks examine this project here the a-class leady said two leadys were carefully photographing something an elaborate model on a tabletop it is a good example the men grouped around trying to see it was a model of a ruined city taylor studied it in silence for a long time at last he looked up it's san francisco he said in a low voice this is a model of san francisco destroyed i saw this on the vidscreen piped down to us the bridges were hit yes notice the bridges the leady traced the ruined span with his metal finger a tiny spider-web almost invisible you have no doubt seen photographs of this many times and of the other tables in this building san francisco itself is completely intact we restored it soon after you left rebuilding the parts that had been damaged at the start of the war the work of manufacturing news goes on all the time in this particular building we are very careful to see that each part fits in with all the other parts much time and effort are devoted to it franks touched one of the tiny model buildings lying half in ruins so this is what you spend your time doing making model cities and then blasting them no we do much more we are caretakers watching over the whole world the owners have left for a time and we must see that the cities are kept clean that decay is prevented that everything is kept oiled and in running condition the gardens the streets the water mains everything must be maintained as it was eight years ago so that when the owners return they will not be displeased we want to be sure that they will be completely satisfied franks tapped moss on the arm come over here he said in a low voice i want to talk to you he led moss and taylor out of the building away from the leadys outside on the hillside the soldiers followed them the sun was up and the sky was turning blue the air smelled sweet and good the smell of growing things taylor removed his helmet and took a deep breath i haven't smelled that smell for a long time he said listen frank said his voice low and hard we must get back down at once there's a lot to get started on all this can be turned to our advantage what do you mean moss asked it's a certainty that the soviets have been tricked too the same as us but we have found out that gives us an edge over them 
I see, Moss nodded. We know, but they don't. Their surface council has sold out the same as ours. It works against them the same way. But if we could... With a hundred top-level men, we could take over again, restore things as they should be. It would be easy. End of section three.